I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take new and underproduced theatre scripts and short stories and turn them into contemporary radio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. And today we feature a bonus episode, an interview with the playwright of Low or Dear Mr. Wells, Rose Napoli. So, Chris... Um, One of the reasons that I think we picked this particular piece, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that uh, unlike some of the other pieces, it was a little bit on the sexy side. And um, uh, so we recorded this piece, and um, you had to do some of the Foley work. Yeah, yeah. I, I found myself with a microphone running around the house in high heels, recording me slamming doors and mm, simulating the sounds of a blowjob. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, I don't think this is what my parents had in mind when they paid for my theater school. I think aside from that story, um, I think that's an interesting thing to point out is I think some people think that this um, that these uh, radio plays are recorded as a table read, that, that everyone is just sitting down and and reading a play, but they're actually performed very much like a, an old-style radio play. Yeah, everybody is recorded direct to mic, and then we add the atmosphere and the world that they live in later in post. And that's where a lot of the fun begins, particularly with such a provocative piece like Rose's piece. And Rose talks a little bit in her interview about what inspired her to write Low or Dear Mr. Wells. So maybe we should hear directly from Rose. This is an interview we recorded with Rose at the distillery in Toronto, Canada. And it's working. So yeah, let's start. Yay. <laughs> thank you so much, Rose, for doing this. I really appreciate it. And also, thank you so much for, for the piece. We uh, Both Laura and I really enjoyed the piece, and we were looking forward to recording it, and we're pleased with how it turned out. Thank you for having us. It's been great. <laughs> Excellent. Um, one thing that really surprised me is you, you've been around for quite some time as, as an actor, mm. in, particularly in the Toronto scene, but I was surprised that as a playwright, really your first premiere was re- last year, 2015. That's right. Um, Oregano uh, was my debut as a playwright, so that played at the Storefront Theatre um, last March. And it was my first show, a very sort of great and tumultuous time. I think, uh, you know, it's it's hugely vulnerable writing a play and and then sharing it. And I had the added uh, pleasure of being in that. So uh, the added pleasure and the added terror of being <laughs> in it. So, yeah, there was a lot going on all at once um, with that show. As a piece, particularly for your debut, critically, it was it was a great success. I know the star loved it. I think it was Azuni and talked quite a bit to quite quite an extent about it. And they also mentioned that it was a very personal piece for you as well. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think uh, Oregano was the play that I had to write first. 
uh, before I could sort of move on to writing other stories. I, I sort of had to really dig and write a version of my own. And I say that because I think the play started as a very personal piece. And, and it and it ended that way. It's just that um, at a point during the writing, it extended beyond me. So the play was essentially about a young woman who, um, uh, you know, is coming to grips with losing her father. And I'm very... Um, drawn to magical realism and so the play really um the journey of the play for this young woman is uh the magic of her father her relationship with her father and um the person he was so essentially she gets to know him at various points in his life um prior to uh letting go of him so um it was a it was a, a personal start for sure for me. Um, I actually remember that I started writing the play uh, in a class at the Tarragon Theater. And um, there was a point at which Paula Wing, who was the woman running the class, said to me, you're going to have to name this character something other than Rose. (laughs) (laughs) And I think what she was really saying was, the play has to be about more than you. And I think that playwrights or all writers start from a place of um, personal, uh, you know, relationship and obsession uh, with something. And those are really key ingredients, I think, in good dramatic writing. But uh, I do think that there becomes a point where what you have to say, the message that you are communicating to the audience trumps all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think oregano for me was a learning um, opportunity in that way. I was able to go on that journey myself. I was essentially teaching myself how to write a play. I I Mm. didn't have a a whole lot of um, experience with it or support at the time. And nobody really cared if I finished it or not. I mean, it was really a project that I was doing for myself. And so, um, you know, that that's always a challenge, of course, that Mm -hmm. kind of self-guided artistry and writing particularly because it's a really lonely or can be a very lonely uh, art form. And, you know, when you are also going into delving into your own personal demons, you know, you imagine that you're sitting in your room. No one cares if you finish the play or not. And you have to really face yourself in order to write something that's decent. That's a really, <laughs> it's a tough thing yeah. to, to <laughs> choose to do without, you know, any compensation or real encouragement. So the success of the show itself was, I think, for me, a real, a really great sort of um, introduction into playwriting. Um, a, a good go at it. I mean, I really appreciated um some of the feedback we got on the show. And uh, I, I think that even more than the critics, some of the audience members really responded mm-hmm. in a profound way, which was really great. Um, and it was, you know, 
it wasn't actually a cathartic thing for me. I think a lot of people thought maybe that would be the case, particularly because I was also playing the part. So it was like I was, you know, Mm -hmm. going through this journey every night. But, I mean, in my life I had gone through the journey already. It Mm -hmm. was behind me in a way. And so, uh, you know, even just the ability to write about something, you do have to be removed from it. I think if you're still in the throes of whatever... Uh, is happening. It becomes a, a taxing and and really a, um, therapeutic, or or you know, like I mentioned the word cathartic. And and I don't necessarily know that that is the purpose of writing. Did it change though your relationship to your dad? Did you did it change how you how you thought about him? Hmm. Did it change how you connected with? It's interesting. You know, in a very early workshop of it. Um, a dear friend who was reading the part said to me, um, it's very hard, you know, to play a role that's perfect. Mm. And I thought, oh, interesting. And this was early days. This was like one of the first drafts. And I thought, oh, right. (laughs) I have to, (laughs) I have to complicate this person that, you know, in my mind, I don't, I don't ever want to say anything, you never want to say anything bad about someone who's not alive anymore. And, you know, um, but it was a real eye opener for me because I did, I had to face some of the hardships of our relationship. And, um, and I, and I said, I've said this before about the play. Um, I didn't write my relationship with my dad. I think I wrote what I dreamed it would be. Mm. Um, he certainly, I didn't write the end of his life as it happened, as it truly happened. I wrote what I imagined it could have been. Right. Um, so, and, and for me, the message of the play is that no matter what, um, our families, our, you know, our history, our culture, it is inside of us. Mm-hmm. And the power in that is incredible. Uh, and that we don't have to actually try to find it. It's just there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe doing the play helped me to come to see that cl- more clearly. Right. Um, but, but I think, yeah, truly the play became about something bigger than him or, or yeah. I or my family or anything like that. It was a, it was a bigger thing. I remember reading once that a playwright said that uh, your first piece is always your piece, mm-hmm. and then the next piece is somebody else's piece. So yeah. What what drove you to write that story? What um, to write uh, oregano or yeah this? oregano yeah. around your dad's um, passing? Well, I think you know our parents—they're the people that are supposed to be with us forever. Mm-hmm. You know, there are heroes or, you know, for me, that was certainly the way I saw it. You know, our parent is our, our first teacher yeah. in so many ways and people go in our lives, but the parent is meant to be the, the blanket that never stops warming you. Yeah. And, um, to lose a parent, like, you know, I was, t- I was 20, um, so to to have that comfort ripped away and it was very sudden mm-hmm. uh it, it was it's changed the course of my entire life it's changed 
who I am. I think there's a there was always a little melancholy inside of me that will never um, ever go away because yeah. I will always be missing him, and that is a that is an interesting. You know, I, I'm sure everybody has sadness in their life in some way, shape, or form. But for for me, this was real, um, a real uh, hurdle to get over, yeah. obviously. But also, um, the hurdle ended up becoming the acceptance that I don't have to get over it, actually. That, you know, now it'll be... Uh, almost 13 years that he's gone and I don't have to let go ever and actually I'm glad I won't I'm glad that I'll continue to miss him I'm glad that there will be days where I can see him so clearly and hear his voice you know scolding me or (laughs) uh, you know I can feel how I may or may not be disappointing him Um, I'm glad all those things exist because it means that even in a short time, you can leave a, a profound um, reflection on on someone. Most people grieve privately, and then there's a select mm-hmm. group of people, playwrights, who do it mm-hmm. so openly in such a vulnerable way. What's that like? Putting putting you- it's the worst. <laughs> no, it's um, you know I don't. It's interesting. I think that people go into. I, I started as an actor. Um, And I think that probably a vast majority of people who go into the acting profession go in because people clap for you at the end. Like, Mm, you know, and and in high school, which is where or in youth, when a lot of people do start, you know, it's a really kind of strange time in your life where um, you feel insignificant almost always. So to stand up and, and be clapped for is a really, you know, wonderful, mm-hmm. joyous thing that I think really turns a lot of strange, beautifully strange people, like the little misfits that become theater people uh, in high school, uh, turns them on to, the th- to a life in the theater. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's what, what, uh, what happened with me. But then you start to study it and learn about what it actually is. Uh, which is very different, and the clapping goes away. And yes, people still clap for you, but then you get on your bike and ride home, and that same person, you know, cuts you off without knowing that it's you, the actor, riding to your billet's house or whatever. (laughs) So it's a far less glamorous life than I think I had initially imagined. Mm -hmm. And it asks a lot of you. Uh, I think all art does. It asks you to, uh, in acting as well as writing, to bring yourself to it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's very possible to not, if, you, if you'd rather not. I just think it's not really exciting. Yeah. I mean, the things, the people that really inspire me, the artists, not just in the theater, but in any art form that inspire me, I can see, I can see themselves dripping off of whatever it is that's that I'm looking at or that I'm listening to or that I'm reading. You know, I, I can I can feel the vulnerability of the person. And that's an amazing, beautiful thing. I mean, it's an attractive thing. It's a scary thing. And, you know, I sometimes think about what life would be like if I did another job that didn't 
necessarily ask me to rip my heart out. Um, (laughs) And like, you know, I'm sure there are advantages to that too. But I kind of feel like this is the only way for me to live. Yeah. Is to, it's hard work. It's hard work because you have to, you really have to dig deep and go to the hard places. But I think I'm a better person for it. I have a community that is incredible. Like the wonderful people that you meet in this profession and you, you know, you're in this isolated little world for however many weeks that you're working on a play. And for that time, they're your family and they're your, your dear friends and they're your parents and they're your lovers and they're your, you know, they're your best, best mates. Like you become this community in a very short time and then you go away. Yes. And then you go away and you wish yeah. each other well, and maybe you don't see each other for years, yeah. but they carve a space out in you and yeah. you carry all these beautiful, amazing, vulnerable artists with you in your life. And I just feel like it's, it's the best. Yeah. Plus you expand your Facebook friends. I know. Like Isn't that, yeah. over a thousand easily. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so Oregano was your first play. It was your play. Uh, you've had, I think, another play be- between Oregano and um, Lowe or Dear Mr. Lowe was actually, oh, no, Lowe was, was the second. Was, was it? it? No, it wasn't. I wrote a short play, um, yes, uh, called Ten Creative Waves to Dispose of Your Cremains. I wrote that after Oregano, um, and then Lowe began. So I guess it was the third. Is there a personal connection to Lowe in the same way that you had with Oregano? Where did that come out of? Um, I mean, yeah. I think every every play that I write comes from this uh, kernel of truth, uh, you know, within myself. Um, Lowe, Lowe, I actually spent a couple of years... Um, I went to teacher's college uh, after theater school and was a teacher for a few years in um, the school system in Windsor, Ontario. And uh, it was a really um, wild experience being in the schools, being in the schools at 24 years old or 25 years old. I was kind of in limbo between, um, you know, the students, Mm -hmm. some of whom were only five five or six years yes. younger than me and yeah. the teachers who, um, you know, for the, for the most part, I was quite a bit, uh, younger than. Yeah. And so I kind of lived somewhere in the middle of that and therefore was an observer in a very strange way to, uh, to both realities. And, uh, you know, the school that I was teaching at, uh, there was the guidance counselor that was, um, in my last year of teaching, was arrested for um, having had a a relationship with a student, and and it was really quite a shock to the school. He was arrested in the middle of the day uh, at the school, apprehended, wow. and yeah. and it wasn't until uh, you know a few w- weeks later that little uh, colonel's information started coming out. So um, we then learned that this young woman um, who was at the time in the 12th grade, uh, they had been carrying on a relationship since she was in the seventh grade. So so how old would she have been? She 12, would have been... 12 or 13. Whoa. I don't know the specifics of when it got physical, mm-hmm. 
I do know that he followed her, essentially. He, he transferred. He taught at her grade school. And when she moved to the high school, he then moved along with her and became the guidance counselor of all things. Wow. And, um, you know, essentially the catalyst for her, um, after so many years of carrying on this relationship, of, of coming forward with it, was because he was actually... Um, recently engaged to another teacher on staff. So this young girl found out about this and, of course, was mm-hmm. heartbroken because I think she really felt like she was going to have a future with this man. Yeah. And um, being present in a building when that is happening, you know, and like I said, being, because of my age, sort of privy uh, to the two perspectives of it um, was uh, had a really profound effect on me. I also worked so I think that Lowe came from that specific event Mm -hmm. but then was um, a lot of other things sort of um, started to filter into my mind as I was realizing who Laura was Um, I also worked as a, a child and youth worker at a place called Maryvale, actually, really? which, I, which I do name in the um, mm-hmm. in the play as the place that Laura goes for her uh, treatment, uh, and it was uh, a facility for youth. And I worked there as a child and youth worker, and um, I worked in a place that was specific to um, uh, young women who had some sexual trauma um, and were. Some of them were suicidal, and mm-hmm. some of them had other tendencies, other ways of coping. Um, and the stories were horrific and um, terrifying yeah. and uh, numerous. And actually, when I began writing the play, you know, I'd also been very interested in, um, for obvious reasons, um, teenage uh, promiscuity and particularly that in young women mm-hmm. and connecting that to the loss of a parent or um, absent parents. Mm, okay. And so, and, and Laura has a, a, an absent parent and, and there's a reason the cliche, I think, exists. So um, all of those things for me were huge um, uh springboards into starting the writing of the play as well as really really seeing that we didn't hear that perspective very often you know you know people use the word trope when it comes to um you know teacher student relations that we 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 go down that road a lot in stories and films and uh, novels and um that is true However, I, I mean, Lolita is one of my favorite novels. I loved it. I devoured it when I read it. I was horrified with myself because I was yeah. rooting for this man. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, my God, what's wrong with me? And, um, but Lolita's a pretty two-dimensional, or, or, or at the very least, we don't have enough space with her mm-hmm. to know uh, the complexity of her perspective and all of it. And for me, that was really important. Mm-hmm. Really important to, um, yeah, maybe look at a story that, had, that has been um, examined in a number of ways, but to look at it from the perspective of the young 
woman. Right. And have her be the storyteller. It was really important for me. And you feel that hasn't been done that much, particularly in Toronto no, I mean, theater? I, do you? I, I see often, it's interesting because I'll, I'll see shows that um, will deal with something similar. But of course, the, the young person is sort of uh, the afterthought. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. that the, 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 the telling perspective is the one of the male. Yeah. And I mean, we all know that that's, that's some, an issue that we have to um, continue to fight yeah. um, to represent women in theater and in the stories that we tell. And I mean, all that means to me is we need more women writing mm-hmm. because um, obviously, uh, you, you know, you write from your own voice, your own perspective. And so, you know, uh, if, if the male perspective is the one that you identify with, then that's going to be where mm-hmm. most of the work comes from. And so, um, yeah, I do think that uh, it's important for us to push the uh, and and to really challenge the perspectives that were uh, the stories that we're deciding to tell now, mm-hmm. and for me, this was an important one. This yeah. was one that had to um, had to be explored. The character of Laura was so rich and so full, and you could really understand a lot of her motivations. But one thing that struck me as well was uh, Mr. Wells was mm-hmm. also, in a way at times even sympathetic and I felt bad once mm-hmm. again like you're talking about with mm-hmm. Lolita I felt bad because I understood what was going on inside his mind how was how that to write from the abuser's point of view but create uh, you, I guess you had to create a sympathetic character at times as well yeah I mean I don't necessarily well I, I think with Alan you know I don't think that he sees himself as an abuser and certainly mm-hmm. didn't um, didn't enter into um I think he entered into his relationship with Laura with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. And and it was important to me that he's a good teacher, he cares about his students, that um you know, we don't we're not it was important to me that she was that she is 15 years old and that we're not mm-hmm. we're not playing with um the lines of age there. Sure. Yeah. Cuz I think, you know, it's hard you can go into the high schools now and I mean, some of the women are, they're developed, they're teenage girls, but they Mm -hmm. are developed and they look like women. Mm -hmm. So you can see how someone might be attracted to uh, a young 17 or 18 year old girl who actually looks like she's in her mid 20s or even older. Um, It was important to me that Laura is 15. Yeah. Um, But also that the, the attraction from Alan's point of view comes from her mind comes from a number of things and a and a and a real profound connection to the student that he sees an enormous uh, talent in mm-hmm. um that he's not a pedophile yeah. per se um and we never use that kind of language in the play and i don't necessarily know that i would categorize him in that way either um because I, I believe we all have um, the potential to make some horrific uh, mistakes in our lives. Yeah. And um, I wanted to explore a story that was complicated uh, both uh, in both uh, from both perspectives. So that Alan was an equally rich 
I didn't want to just repeat the mistakes that I had or or the problems that I have with some of the other pieces that maybe inspired or launched this work is that I wanted to come in and, and bring something that was full and complex and have a man, a man that was not a villain. Yes. And, and it was important to me that uh, low, you know, she's an aggressor as well. Mm-hmm. So um, she isn't a victim that's taken advantage of, um, that the line is really quite uh, fluid and it's never easy. Yes. It's n- never easy to say who is at fault. Um, and it was important to me that audiences also rooted for the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it is, a be- you know, I think the message that sort of is the undercurrent of the play for me is that it is possible to have something be really, really bad and really, really good all in one bundle mm-hmm. that that this is you know an irrevocable mistake on both of their parts yeah that they can never come back from particularly um no both of them can never come back from but they are forever changed in a positive way because of their time together sure yeah you you mentioned writing, and that seems to be quite a theme throughout your writing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of your characters are writers, and you talk a lot about language. What's your relationship to, to language? Why are you attracted to, to that theme? I feel like when I grew up, I was like Matilda. Like, I grew up, my my when I, my parents were immigrants, and, um, you know, we didn't listen to the CBC, and... We didn't have books. We didn't have a big library of books. We, we weren't really read to in my house. Uh, not because my parents, uh, you well, you know, my father couldn't really read in English to us, uh, but but also because you know they were busy. They were they worked with their hands, and they mm-hmm. were, and so we were outside and getting dirty, and then running in for dinner, and that was. Yeah. That was our lives, and I loved books. So I would walk to the library and take out these. I was reading, I remember, I was like 13, and I read The Thorn Birds, like, on my own. It's so weird that I, like, took it out from the library and devoured this book, and then I did it with North and South, too, and then watched the miniseries. Like, I was a really strange kid, but so words and books and all of that has meant so much to me through my life and has been a solace for me. Even now, if you go to my house, I'm just surrounded by books. And so I share those qualities with both Laura and Alan mm-hmm. and sometimes find that I can't, especially in the age now where we have Kindles and, you mm-hmm. know, people are reading on iPads or screens and everything, uh, our, our attention span is so much uh, shorter that I, even I myself I find if I pick up a book that's more than 300 pages I'm like this better be very good <laughs> you better have a lot of good things to say but you know brevity is really uh, people have, have really embraced that but to find a kinship with someone who loves books I think is like a really great uh, sort of window into um a particular relationship and maybe a little dream of mine. So 
I feel like uh, the language that Laura and Alan share, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, they speak even in their it's their, their foreplay. Yes, yeah. it is. It is. It totally yeah. is. Like the the Twitter inspired game that they play. I mean, yeah. um, they re- you can see their affection for word yeah. in it. So that was important. What what what's next for for the piece? Is there? Um, I'm I'm excited to say that um, Lowe will have a production in 2017-18. Um, can't give more details than that, but um, that's a really exciting thing. I'm I, I've been thrilled to work with both Viv- Vivian and David and Andrea Donaldson uh, on the development of this piece uh, for the last a couple of years um they've been such a huge shaping force in in the work and i'm indebted to them so um premiering it you know i feel like uh, is such a celebration of of a lot of, uh, of painstaking hours mm-hmm. of of really trying to fine-tune what it is that I wanted to say with the play and help from not only those three incredible artists, but uh, also Nightwood Theatre, who um, I, I wrote the play in the Right From the Hip program at mm-hmm. Nightwood Theatre, and Right From the Hip is an incredible program um, featuring young women, uh, some of whom have never written a play before, and others who are transitioning, let's say, from another um, uh, forte into playwriting. And um, I, I'm very grateful to 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 them for for that program because it's so mm-hmm. important, but also for their encouragement of of the work. Um, so I'm proud of the show. And I look forward to being able to sit in a theater and watch someone else stress over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when it is announced, when the producing company does announce its season and you can let the cat out of the bag, please mm. definitely tell us. We will mention it on the, the podcast as well. And um, I, I just encourage anybody who has an opportunity to see this piece live to mm-hmm. go out and see it. Of course, I will definitely do that. I... I I hope that it's so interesting. It was interesting listening to it because I I did think that it uh, shed a new light on on the piece when it's only heard and not seen. Mm-hmm. And I do hope that um, even though you can appreciate it as a radio drama on its own, that that you know somebody would also be enticed enough to. Uh, see what it might look like too (laughs) (laughs) absolutely thank you so much thank you for the interview and thank you very much for giving us this piece thank you it's been great that was playwright rose napoli talking about her play low or dear mr wells and now we announce the next play in the play me season next week we feature the first installment of the play grade eight by playwright and spoken word artist Dwayne Morgan. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our podcast, to leave a comment, or to let us know what you think of our shows. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley, and this episode was edited by Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Rashanik Jaberi. Play Me is funded by the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Ontario Trillium Foundation. 
Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, the Toronto Fringe Festival, and the Spiderweb Show. If you're interested in other dramatic podcasts, be sure to check out How to Build a Fire by Kat Sandler. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.